everybody. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us once again here for this. And I am here again with my a frequent, frequent guest, my wife, Sharon McCarter. Hello. Hello. Thanks for uh, joining us for another one. I'm going to take a few minutes and kind of pick up a conversation that has been an ongoing one in the, in the life of our church really ever since the Uprising series. You mentioned that in our last podcast a week yeah. ago about how um you know we got to we got thinking more about shifts in our culture and the way things have been moving in our society mm-hmm. and i'm just going to keep going i'm going to keep i think it's so important for us to have some intentional thought about what we're experiencing because this is a really weird time. Like, this is just not normal. It hasn't been normal for a while. It's not gonna be for a while. Like, these mm-hmm. are really extraordinary times. Like, I, I think in, literally, I think for centuries, the little window of time that we're living in now, this is going to be studied and looked at as something something exceptional. Yeah. And for us to stop and sort of exegete culture along the way, I think helps us get our bearings and realize... Um, okay, this this is a remarkable and exceptional time. Um, we're going to feel certain ways. We're going to feel strange, and uh, it's it's really valuable to to try and get our bearings. I I am convinced, by the way, that so much of what we um, what we articulate and understand about the cultural moment we're in now is isn't like we could be way more accurate if we did this 10 years from now and mm-hmm. we looked back at 2023 yeah. when it was 2033 mm-hmm. um and and we could go okay well let's let's look at the 2020s let's let's evaluate what happened <laughs> what happened right yeah. like what was that <laughs> and and there'll be some large scale studies about how it impacted you know this this care, this avenue of life and the other but we're living in it now yeah. and we can't wait for the analysis of the future <laughs> like we need our bearings for what for what's going on. Well, and it's been really helpful the way you have helped our church through it and like think through it and you know, not all of us are reading all the books and thinking all the things, you know. <laughs> and I'm grateful that you are like a deep thinker in this realm and you do explain some things. It is more helpful than you know, I think. Um and again, I've I've seen how like God's done so much in you, and how then now you've just given it to the church, and it's mm-hmm. been this really beautiful thing because it's personal mm-hmm. and helpful. I also think that it's funny how you're like this isn't like a normal way to preach sermons, you know. So I think a podcast is a great way to like talk about it because you're like, <laughs> you know, like you just did a conference somewhere, and you're like, by the way, normally when I preach, I open the Bible and we study a text uh-huh. and we do this, and now I'm trying to exegete culture. Uh-huh. Um, and so it, I mean, it's a good to distinction. Scripture. And yes. instead we're not yes. culture. Right, right. Mm-hmm. But we still need it. And like we're still Christians and our pastor is helping us learn how to think through uh culture, obviously through scriptural lenses. For sure. Um so I, I think it has been helpful. And again, I think a podcast is a great way to continue the conversation. Good. Well I'm gonna keep going because <laughs> I think we we continue right, to let's do it. I think we continue to need it. Um and by the way, there's a guy named Mark Sayers. We're reading a book called Reappearing Church. A lot of people in our church are reading this book right now. Um, and I, I do think he's kind of, I think he's the most helpful, most accessible voice 
Uh, there's a Rebuilders podcast, if, if you're interested, that helps. Um, it really helps me kind of get my bearings for, for what we're experiencing as well. And, and some of the ideas I'm going to share with now are, are really just sort of lifted from, from, a lot of, from a lot of his thoughts. He's written a number of books, a podcast as well. So he's a very helpful thinker. One of the terms he uses uh, to describe the time that we're in now, which he certainly acknowledges it's, it's an exceptional time, is a, a gray zone. And um, it's because... It's it's gray because um, there's almost unprecedented instability. Um, there there are all these things that just don't typically move and shift, but they're moving and they're shifting now, mm-hmm. and um, and it's disorienting. Mm-hmm. And uh, nobody knows what's going to happen next. <laughs> and, yeah, I remember and- when you described it um, on a Sunday morning. You were saying like, "Hey, like in a sense, like Christendom has fallen off the throne." You know, mm-hmm. so it's like, well, now all these things are trying to compete to get on the throne. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what makes it so um, like disorienting, a little scary. You don't mm-hmm. know like what's going to ascend, what's going to stay a while, um, what's going to be our new like worldview. And obviously, yeah. you know, as Christians, it's not going to be like our new worldview, right. but in our culture, in our society. Um, yeah, I think that was a really helpful picture. There's no dominant cultural narrative right now. Yeah. And, and as a, it makes it a very disorienting, strange time to live as different ideologies are trying to ascend that throne. Yeah, you can feel the fight and the tension for them yeah, all. Yeah, it's everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's elevated. And, and all we can do is guess. I want to be clear about that. Um, I've said this in the past, but it, it's a mistake to just assume that things will continue on the current path and trajectory that they're on. And I think people do that. I think people go, wow, you know, if, if things stay on the trajectory that they're on now, then 10 years from now, 20 years from now, we'll be in this position. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not a helpful way to forecast because th- the nature of trends is that they change. This is a this is a swinging pendulum, and this is why we can be, feel really hopeful. You know, we yes. talked on last week's podcast, but we have reason to hope in part because things are so wild right now. Yeah, well, I've been totally guilty of like, oh man, if we're here now, where are we going to be? And mm-hmm. and then this idea of the pendulum swinging back, you know, like it swung too far and it's going to mm-hmm. swing back, and that is incredibly encouraging, you know, because yes. it's like we don't want to live in a world where it keeps going like this for mm-hmm. you know, you know decades yeah a question that i hear asked a lot is um some of these trends that we're experiencing is this a is this a blizzard Mm -hmm. or is this a winter or is this an ice age you know is this something that's sort of a a blip on the historical radar or is this something that's going to extend for even centuries and the Mm -hmm. fact is we just we just don't know we don't know but historically Yep. Historically, uh, you know, the revival has sort mm-hmm. of happened every 30 to 50 years. And yes. so I'm hanging on to that hope. Yes, I, I have. I think there are that and other reasons that we can we really can believe. Hopefully, I, I think yeah. we're on a precipice yeah, of something it's been remarkable. 50 years since the Jesus movement. So, yeah, like, yeah, like hopefully maybe we're more at the end. I think so. I really do think the stage is set, but yeah. we still don't know. We don't you know. Um, so anyway, with all of this unrest and all of the swirl, um, uh, society starts churning mm-hmm. and people don't, again, have a, a dominant ruling vision for life. And as a result, um, 
people start grasping at ever <laughs> at ever stranger worldviews and these worldviews get serious consideration in a time like ours when when they haven't gotten nearly this much traction um in in years past and we we see cycles of change like this throughout history and they're repeating themselves and we're so what we're experiencing now we've experienced before but it's just happening so much faster now mm-hmm. so i want to highlight four uh worldviews that are gaining traction and you can see it happening all around us and we've seen all of these worldviews in various forms you know i think it's it's iterative there's different there's different versions of them every time it goes through the cycle but we've seen all these things before what's different about now is because of rapid globalization, because the internet is everywhere, information uh, travels uh, so fast now, uh, cultural change is heating up, um, and it, it happens so rapidly now that we're experiencing multiple worldviews all at once. Instead mm-hmm. of cycling through them, they're all happening at once in an ever-growing swirl. <laughs> There's all this <laughs> churn that we're experiencing. And I've always, like... A- kind of like taken aback at how much all this stuff like lives in your brain and how it lives in the air. You know, it's like, you know, I'm so grounded in the word and, but we live in the world and yeah. it's like, you don't even have to be on social media all day long. I don't watch a lot of TV. I don't, mm-hmm. but you're still like living in a culture that is just changing like left and right. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel all of it in my heart and head. And I'm like, why, like, why does this all um, feel so real? Mm-hmm. Even when I'm not trying to look for a different world view, mm-hmm. but it, it all, has like an impact yeah well you're interacting with human beings and the truth is i feel like it's easier because i've been off of social media all forms of it for like three years now or four maybe it's awesome by the way but (laughs) i I feel like it's actually easier to put my finger on the pulse of what's happening because you're not getting all of the hysteria that you get on social media you're just hearing what people say you're living with human beings and reacting to what humans are saying in real time face to face Mm Um, and so st- taking a bit of a step away has almost made it easier to see what's going on mm-hmm. because it's it's not based on one hysterical tweet from around the globe. It's, it's yeah. somebody you're talking to face to face in real time. Well, and it's contagious, you know, like all of a sudden different sayings are bubbling up and now yeah. everyone's saying the new sayings and it's like changing mm-hmm. the way you think without even realizing it. Yeah, the language is shifting really sure. quickly. All right, so I'm going to go through four worldviews, and I'm going to go as quickly as I can. Uh, this is probably too much information <laughs> for this format, but um, I don't know. You can go back and listen again or take some notes if you want. Um, uh, the first of the of the four, and I do think there's a sequence to these, uh, the first of the four is, is hedonism, and uh, a lot of people know that term, but um, in a hedonistic worldview, Pleasure is the ultimate good, and and you know if it feels good, do it. Um, go with your gut. <laughs> um, uh, follow your impulse. That's the ideology of of hedonism, and w- what that does it makes it makes pleasure the ultimate goal, and that means sin or evil is anything that restricts or prevents pleasure on on any level. And uh, the ideal then is that if if everybody, this is sort of the the vision, the hopeful vision of hedonism, is if everybody would just relax, <laughs> stop being so uptight, follow their impulses, then everybody in the world would just be happier and more fulfilled, and as a result, the world would the world would thrive more and more. Mm-hmm. As you know, Sharon, there there ends up being 
there ends up being problems with that. Yeah, I just feel like this has backfired over and over again. You know, it like has. it's not you don't have to think about it um, long to see how selfishness and sin backfires every time. How when you're only out for number one, of course it backfires. Um, mm-hmm. It's something I'm speaking on soon. Galatians five sixteen through seventeen says, "So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Mm. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the yes. Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. Yes. They are in." conflict with each other so that you um, are not to do whatever you want. Like that's straight Bible, right? Like you can't have it both ways. Like you can't have everything you want. I can't, you know, want to glorify God and want to please everything in my flesh. Mm -hmm. That doesn't work. You have to choose. You you can't have it all. Mm -hmm. You can't do it all. Well, it's the most obviously self-defeating perspective you 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 harm yourself you harm harm others in the process so you're like why doesn't this just die this has been happening mm-hmm. in cultures around the world for time immemorial for thousands of years and it's because do whatever you want is an easy sell man like people want what they want so pursuing what they want yeah uh you know People are conditioned to say yes yeah. to this type of an ideology, even though it so profoundly backfires. It's like, follow your time. heart. It's like, well, our hearts are sick. Yeah. You know, follow your desires. Yeah. Well, they, we have a sinful nature. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. So, so hedonism doesn't work. It backfires, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, and then there's a backlash to the backfire. Um, and that has given rise to um, a, a, an, an intense moralism. Mm-hmm. A, a moralistic worldview. And, and in this worldview, uh, the purpose of life is to do good deeds. The purpose of life is to be a good person. Um, now the trouble is, this is all happening this as a pursuit to a, a moral code. <laughs> but this, this pursuit of the ideal moral code has as one of its premises rejecting Christian morals as the as an authority, right? And um, uh, the the problem is, uh, Christian morality kind of like I don't know laid claim to all the best morals. Like it's, <laughs> there's a clear, historically proven, coherent moral code that has come from Christianity that has changed mm-hmm. um, the moral perspectives and sensibilities of the entire world, right? And when you try to give rise to a new moralism that is reactive against a Christian moral code. Well, now you got lots of problems because yeah. lots of just basic human decency is kind of off the table because you don't want to agree with the Christians. Well, it just begs the question all the time if there's a moral standard, but no one knows who sets it. You know, it's a constant question of, well, who picks this moral standard? Who chooses it? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I don't think morality is a democracy. Like, morality is from the Word of God, uh-huh. you know? Yes. Um, <laughs> and it's clearly, you know, in, you know, democratic situations like we're fighting over morality all the time you know and it's like there has to be one final authority and so otherwise it's like okay like that's that that's good for you but it's Mm -hmm. not good for me or that's right for you it's not right for me and so Mm -hmm. to if everyone wants to be a good person everyone's defining that differently yes it is it's a moving target almost hilariously self-defeating yes to try to (laughs) enforce a moral code that has as one of its core tenets relativism that there is no absolute right and wrong right and it's if it wasn't so sad it would be hilarious watching people try to enforce a constantly changing moral code 
Right. Well, and they're doing it by, you know, showing no no mercy, no forgiveness. Yeah. It's you said the wrong thing and now you're done. Now you're canceled. We're done with you. Mm-hmm. Moving on to the next. And it's like, so I don't know who the morality police is and why they're always canceling everybody. Mm-hmm. But it's like it's totally totally not the beauty of the gospel that's like yes we are sinful yes we have forgiveness we have a savior yes um and so it's just, again it's like trying to take you know the gospel trying to and and but twisting it where it's it's ugly yes because it's not the gospel well it's it's enforcing a moral code by way of hysteria yeah and that means the most dramatic and the most extreme responses um, are deemed the most effective, mm-hmm. but that completely takes off the table any sort of reasonableness. Um, there's there's no forgiveness or mercy or restoration, right? Because the the ongoing, uh, in order for it to be a, a perpetuating ongoing moral code, it, mm-hmm. it's reliant upon hysterical responses. Yeah, and so you can't just step back, be reasonable, and say. That you made a mistake, or that was a failure, and yet here's healing, here's restoration. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's difficult because the only, again, this is an ad hoc, build it as you go, plain as in the air, moral code, moralism. Mm-hmm. And the only stick that people have to motivate people to stay in line with the constantly changing moral code is shame. Yeah. And and just public ridicule, and that's the canceling that you were talking <laughs> yeah. about earlier. What that is that? What is work. it called? Like when like a, a judge wants to make an example out of somebody, you know? I I feel like that's that's mm-hmm. what's happening. Like everyone's yeah. an example. Like your failure is going to be in public display. Yes. So our morals are shown, and I mean the whole thing is it really is crazy making. And then people feel like they can't say anything. Like you kind of can't do or say anything right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether you say something, if you say it wrong, you're in trouble. If you don't say anything at all, you're in trouble. It's like, yeah. I don't know who I'm in trouble with all the time, but we're, everyone's in trouble. Right. And, and it's perpetuating uh, virtue signaling as sure. a result where people are saying, well, I'm going to present then the most good based on the best I can understand the current moral code, <laughs> yes. which will be, which will be changing by the time I hit send on this tweet. But yes. Um, and so this sort of ridiculous virtue signaling, people are trying so hard to present themselves in just the right way, and it's kind of impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, 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 it doesn't work. So um, we could go all day about yes. that. Yes, oh yes. But it's interesting. We have, we have hedonism uh, that, has given, that doesn't work. It self-implodes, and it gives rise to this, this moralism, this ad hoc build it on the fly moral code and there there's something about this Sharon that I had to be careful how I go about communicating this because it is uh, every, I've tried to be very very clear and it's so true we live together you can you can vouch for it I am not politically motivated <laughs> I just not but I think some of the shifts and twists and turns of this and how it affects politics is fascinating mm-hmm. and What's interesting about the this new emerging hedonism and new emerging moralism is that this is all wildly inverted when we look up at, when we look at it across traditional political lines. Here's what I'm saying. Traditionally speaking, liberals tend toward the hedonistic worldview, conservatives tend toward the moralistic worldview. Lots of exceptions to that. Sure. I am generalizing broad strokes for sure. But for as long as I know, that's been the thing, you know, like the liberals have said, let's be liberated. (laughs) 
and and um, and be more open and more free. The conservatives had said, let's be more traditional, and and they've been the moralists. Mm-hmm. What's fascinating to me is that that has completely flipped totally in this context, and this is bonkers. But now hedonism is being fueled not exclusively but largely by more conservative folks, mm-hmm. which. This I don't actually know this, uh, but uh, it it maybe it's because the growth of the more libertarian wing of the conservative movement, where libertarians have said we want our liberty, leave us mm-hmm. alone, let us do whatever we want, and you know libertarian, even though it's kind of over on the right, the extreme right, even mm-hmm. um, it has the same root word as liberal, which is liberty, mm-hmm. um, and they're saying. Uh, so that sort of libertarian sensibility saying, hey, don't fence me and let me do as I wish, has really infiltrated a lot of conservative circles. And now, I won't, I'll, I won't make the list, but a whole stack of politically conservative people have been elected, but these politically conservative people are like unapologetic hedonists. They live like public unapologetic hedonistic lifestyles mm-hmm. and yet that that's who conservatives are electing mm-hmm. which i don't think could have been at all possible just a couple of decades ago so mm-hmm. I, this is i think is really fascinating well, one example of this that sort of highlights it, kid rock is like a conservative icon now and that's it's kid rock <laughs> like, <laughs> kid rock is such an unabashed hedonist and uh and then you and i've Laughed mostly, just joked about this about country music, which country music I I like more and more these days in a lot of ways because our daughter has gone country. She has gone country. Mm-hmm. I actually played her the song "She's Gone Country" mm-hmm. and she loved it because yeah. she's gone country. Yes, but um, every song, every go, go every song is about what? It's, Sharon? it's all about Jesus, sex, and alcohol. Yes, and John and my sorrows and whiskey. Yes. But I'm going to go to church tomorrow. I, yeah, and I don't know. I like the whole I'm thing. Get we're drunk just like, on Friday. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have illicit sex on Saturday. I'm going to go to church on Sunday, and that's and a lot of times in the in just one verse of a country song, yeah. like I just love sex. I just love alcohol. I just love Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> and it's, and it's so it's the whole weird. CD. Yeah, yeah. And this is like country music is the soundtrack for conservative politics like it's just fascinating i, I mean obviously they don't always go together you know uh, like course. we're totally generalizing this broad is- strokes it's just fascinating i'm not saying anything about the political right or wrong of any of it it's just a very interesting thing okay and then on the other side the moralistic stuff is being driven by hyper liberals yep like that they're the ones who've sort of taken on the mantle for enforcing the moral code, and that's always been the conservatives. Yeah, it's but flipped. now it's hyper liberals. It just flipped. It just flipped. Um, and so the rules about what can and cannot be said, what should or should not be done, mm-hmm. what can and cannot be forgiven, what isn't isn't woke, what isn't isn't civil, what doesn't doesn't help uh, the weak or the vulnerable, like that's being not entirely, it's not exclusively again, all this is broad strokes and, and probably even in an unfair way, but it's being driven by, um, the hyper liberal side of the spectrum. And it's just so backwards and inside out and upside down from what's been true for, I mean, I don't know, at least several decades, if not way more. This is why it's so disorienting. No one knows what to think. It's completely disorienting. And that's the point. Yes. Yes. Up is down and down is up. Uh 
Okay, so hedonism gives rise to moralism. That gives rise to this new brand of shifting. Um, uh, well, hedonism gives rise to moralism, and it's entirely different. Mm-hmm. And um, But this new moralism has no concept of grace or forgiveness, and mm-hmm. it's leaving people crushed. It's leaving people absolutely feeling just worthless and frantic and afraid. And so what they need is some modicum of comfort and peace. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that is giving rise to a third worldview I want to highlight, which is the therapeutic worldview. Um, And the therapeutic worldview is um, the single goal of a therapeutic worldview is to feel peace. Just Just let me feel (laughs) some measure of peace Uh and there's no there's no pressure to feel awesome it's not like it's not triumphalism at all it's just just peace we're gonna be okay (laughs) well honestly i mean anxiety has just ramped up so much we all know this depression anxiety and so peace feels more and more scarce like like people have like a scarcity around peace because all we've known for a while is just you know, like chaos, chaos. Yeah. Yeah. There's skyrocketing levels of depression and self-harm. And so the therapeutic worldview is reactive to that. And it sees the world as fundamentally a dangerous and traumatic place, Mm -hmm. uh, which there's a lot of truth to that. Mm -hmm. And so evil then is defined as any, anything that causes trauma, anything that causes pain, and the goal of life is to find safety from any and all mental or emotional harm. Mm. Now, I want to be clear. A lot of that sounds great and wise. A lot of that sounds decidedly Christian. <laughs> um, but ultimately, it's not a coherent approach or worldview either. Either. And I want to just go out of my way to say this as clearly as I can. I am so profoundly in support of therapy. Um, and people getting, there's so many more people who need therapy than get it. Our church has gone out of its way Mm -hmm. financially and other ways to make sure people have access to therapy. I'm so in support of it. That's right. Um, absolutely. And the doctors and medicine and whatever people need. Absolutely. Right. Um, but in a therapeutic worldview, which is different than someone who just acknowledges the need for therapy. Mm -hmm. This is a worldview. This is a way of moving out and seeing everything. This is a narrative that governs our coming and our going. Okay. A therapeutic worldview has the goal to experience peace at all times. It, because of that, you have to take away many of the necessary tools for finding peace. Right. When the whole thing is feel peace, cut out anything negative, what that means is there's no space for the prophetic. Mm-hmm. There's no space for correction. There's no space for conviction of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit makes me feel uncomfortable. Yeah, well, sometimes that's the work of yep. the Holy Spirit, exactly. our counselor, yeah. who was also um, will convict us. Um, there is no space in a therapeutic worldview for the power of pain and suffering. There's no space for refining fire. You go through the fire and come out pure and strong on the other side. And if you have a worldview that, and by the way, therapists don't teach this. (laughs) This is a therapeutic worldview. But a therapeutic worldview that leaves no space for that becomes completely self-defeating. And it ends up being just an elaborate form of, of denial. Well, I think the answer is always like, if if this is your new answer, 
This mm-hmm. is what's like, like therapy isn't your new answer. So some people will yes. go to therapy and be really frustrated because it didn't change and fix everything. Right. You know, and some people will go to therapy and thinking this is what's changing and fixing everything. Right. And so again, that that's when it can become an idol. You yes. know, it's like it's 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 a way, it's a help, it's a tool, um, but it's it's not Jesus. Well, it's I, not salvation. It's ir- not- ironically, having a therapeutic worldview will probably keep you from benefiting much from therapy, hmm. because you're going to reject anything harmful, and and sometimes any good therapist, right. Christian or otherwise, just any decent therapist is going to say, "Hey, we got to work through the hard stuff." Right. And a therapeutic worldview doesn't hold space for that. Yeah. Um, uh, in fact, a therapeutic worldview sees that as an attack. So we were talking uh, recently, Sharon, about a, a book that I love. I think it's so insightful called The Coddling, Coddling of the American Mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jonathan Haidt, H-A-I-D-T. I don't even know if that's how you say it. Haidt, Haidt, H-A-I-D-T. Uh, the Coddling of the American Mind. And what this book has uh, made apparent is that out of the emergence of a therapeutic worldview, we have redefined our concept of harm or injury or attack such that now anything that is said that is offensive, like if you hold an opinion that I disagree with or that I find offensive, then that is now received as an attack, Mm -hmm. as a, a form of being harming of um, it's injurious because you've said something I strongly disagree with. Sure. And the result is that um, there's there's like not a safe place for like even intellectual conversation. So this has exploded, right. especially in colleges and universities. Yeah. Where we're going to bring in we're going to bring in a thinker who's going to present ideas that if they're not representative of you know the majority at that college campus, then there have been like violent protests. They've been pushed out. Um, There have been um, a whole stack of lawsuits saying, I have been harmed. I have suffered harm because of the ideas of this person. Right. And so we've redefined what's harmful, what's injurious, what's an attack in such a dramatic way. Well, even just disagreeing or not not, um, uh, signing up for the same moral code that we don't know who made up and uh-huh. all that stuff, right? Like that's all now hate speech. This yeah. is, you know, and it's, it's just got all gone so far. Like it's this, untenable. These are not, yeah, this, this is not me being violent. Like we just d- disagree, mm-hmm. you know, and it's people don't know what to do with it anymore. It's like, this has hurt me. This has harmed me. Yes. Um, and I'm, it's like, you know, Jesus says, take up your cross, yeah. you know, like there, there are times when we're going to be hurt and, and, mm-hmm. and then, and we take it and we absorb mm-hmm. it. And you know, I know you've done a, a message about that. Yes. So. Yeah. Yeah. We, we endure the hurt for the sake of people around us. Yeah. Um, yeah we forgive those who are literally spitting on us, uh-huh. you know, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Yeah. I mean, all these things Choose like to be the scapegoat. <laughs> this is why moralism without you know, Jesus and the Bible and the story of God, it, it doesn't make sense. Yes, you know? that's right. So the therapeutic worldview falls short because it's just not honest enough yeah. <laughs> and it pulls people away from reality. And again, I'm not talking about therapy. Therapy moves people toward reality, sure. but a therapeutic worldview, a story of everything moves people away from it. Yeah. And so um, out of a therapeutic worldview, this for this is the last one, I know this is a lot, but um, a fourth worldview emerges called nihilism and and nihilism is a splash of cold water it is a harsh reality check 
in reaction to the therapeutic worldview. <laughs> Whereas the therapeutic worldview says we can we can hold on to peace through everything and, and in spite of everything. Nihilism is a it is a fun it really is it is a fundamentally hopeless worldview. Mm-hmm. Um, to its credit, it is very honest about the brokenness in this world. But it takes that brokenness to then define every aspect of the world. And it says the world actually is a disaster. Mm-hmm. And people are a disaster. And the best that we can hope for, the, the pinnacle of human experience, is to feel nothing <laughs> and then to ultimately escape. That's the best you can do because the world is corrupt like everything and everyone else is. And evil is the baseline for all of humanity. Yeah. Um, that's, it's heavy. That's, that's when people have been like, yeah, I tried all the stuff and none of it worked. Uh, and I, I said earlier, Sharon, that the, the therapeutic worldview is hope without the prophetic, but nihilism is the prophetic without any hope. Hmm. And, um, it sees, it sees the problems, uh, with the other worldviews that we've talked about, but it offers no relief. There's just mm-hmm. there's just no answer. People are awful. You're awful. It's all hopeless. <laughs> it's all irreparable. Um, so the best you can do is maybe hang on. What do you mean it's prophetic without hope, though? Because so so often, like the prophetic is like this is the way it is, but God is coming, or but God is restoring. Obviously, these we're talking about a worldview that is outside of. Well, I'm thinking God. sort of the you know the Old Testament prophets who would would speak into yeah. their hedonistic context gotcha. and say this is wrong, this is evil, this is sin. Turn away, repent in sackcloth and ashes, or the judgment of the Lord is coming. Right. And um, now with that message is there's hope if you do repent. Right. Um, so it's built in. Nihilism just says it's it's prophetic doom. We're, yeah, we're doomed. But without any hope. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's, it's too late. Yes. Yeah. So it's it's just it's just heavy. And so what that does is um, people are left with on, honestly, it's interesting. Really, only two options: hmm. um, either suicide, and that's a horrible thing to even say, but unfortunately, there are massive levels of. Depression, and it's obvious depression and suicide connected with a nihilistic worldview. So Kinda, how could there not be? Um, or the other alternative is, if we think of this this list of four things now as a loop, the other alternative is hedonism, hmm. where you just say, "Well, if we're all screwed anyway, let's at least have some fun. You know, uh-huh. eat, drink, and be merry. Uh-huh. Tomorrow we die. Uh, any Life anything." To dull the pain. Sure. And so you end up going back around the cycle again. You're back now to hedonism. Hedonism. This is all we have to just live for yourself. Yep. Do what you want. That backfires and leads to moralism where people go, nope, we have to have some moral values. And then that backfires and leads to this desperate quest for peace because moralism left people ultimately empty. Mm. And then that backfires and leads people to nihilism. And round and round we go. It's this swirl. And instead of seeing these things in sort of, you know, maybe decades long cycles. (laughs) It's like last week. It's all happening all the time. (laughs) Yeah. All of you, everyone within the sound of my voice Mm -hmm. knows people in all four categories right now. Yeah. And 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 maybe maybe even has aspects of all four categories Mm -hmm. at war within them right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um Okay, so why am I saying all this stuff? Uh, I, I got, I got, I got three reasons, <laughs> at least for the sake of this podcast, why I wanted to highlight these things. Um, the first we've already talked about, Sharon. We we talked about, um, we talk about exegeting scripture, 
we also need to exegete culture. Um, and it, we need some sense of what's going on around us mm-hmm. so that we, we know how to pray and we know how to make sense of what we're up against. And we know how to keep our heads in all things. There you go. Absolutely. I love that text. <laughs> that's, we know. That's Second Timothy chapter 4. <laughs> but you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Just mm-hmm. keep your heads. Yeah. And when everybody else is losing theirs, it's mm-hmm. all the more important for us to keep ours. And I needed, you know, for a while when I didn't even have any sense of what was going on, it just seemed like hysteria everywhere. And I realized, no, there's, it's, hap- it's a lot. It's a swirl. It's happening fast. But there's actually a, there's a rationale mm-hmm. behind these things. And this is humans being humans. Mm-hmm. Uh, people who need love and people who need hope. <laughs> um. And we have that in Jesus. Yes, <laughs> so there's something amen. fundamentally hopeful about that. A second reason I want to talk about this is because we are, uh, next week, right here on this podcast, we're starting a series, uh, and I'm super excited about, about spirituality and mental health. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to hear from therapists and mental health uh, experts and professionals. I'm so excited. The subjects we're going to hit, it's going to be really, really fascinating. Mm-hmm. But I, I kind of I did want to take a moment to say, oh, we're going to talk a lot about therapy in the coming weeks. What I'm not suggesting is that we should then have a therapeutic worldview. We should have a Christian worldview, which easily holds space for things like therapy. Yes. Um, but a therapeutic worldview doesn't really hold space for ultimately a Christian worldview for the reasons that we highlighted. Mm-hmm. So I, I wanted to be clear about that. And, and then fine, this is really the big one. Uh, uh, with all of these swirling cultural trends, uh, like you said, we just see people losing their heads. <laughs> and we see, uh, I mean, you and I, Sharon, we've bemoaned this together. We have seen churches and church leaders bending and an ugly word, but capitulating to these mm-hmm. just ever crazier worldviews, yeah, and doing so in an attempt to be relevant. You know, like if sure. I if I uh, approach it with through the most gracious lenses, it's like, well, this is this is where people are coming from. Let's meet them where they're at. Let's let's hold to you know aspects of these worldviews so that we can be more relevant. But what that means is we're we're just. <sighs> unintentionally validating worldviews that are ultimately incoherent. Mm-hmm. Like you said, like they're not all bad. No. Or, I mean, they have, you know, all these things, but it's like, but when they're competing for the throne, it's yes. bad. So it's like, we need to remember who's on the throne mm-hmm. and then let our worldview come from that and mm-hmm. let every else, everything else we think and do come from that. Cause then things actually make sense Yes, and it's not so crazy making. Mm-hmm. These ideologies all have aspects of truth sure, uh, and, and all aspects of Christianity yeah, for sure. But none of them ultimately hold together. Right. Only Christianity do. And it's able it does. And it's able to pull in all these aspects of truth. Like you can you can relate to someone with any of these worldviews from a Christian perspective. Yes. Um, so I'm not saying you shut people out, but you don't you don't capitulate to those worldviews mm-hmm. um, because ultimately you're you're taking you're either putting your own hope or validating people placing their hope in something that doesn't have the strength to hold. Yeah. Christianity alone provides a logical, coherent story of everything. Jesus alone is our hope yes. and our Savior, yes, our Lord. 
So to state the obvious, that means now is just the worst time to depart from historic Christian orthodoxy. It is not time for new far-fetched theologies, for itching ears as scripture references. It's, it's time for, look, we're deeply vineyard around here. It's time for more and more of what John Wimber, the founder of the vineyard, would say is the, the main and the plain. Mm-hmm. It is time, we, it's time to anchor in the core of our faith. Jesus is Lord. His word is true. We surrender to him in everything. Walk with Jesus. Love your neighbor. Join God in the renewal of all things. And what's remarkable is, and I've said this in a number of sermons, it's still, to me, it's the conclusion to all of these conversations. In, when there's this much swirl in our cultural context, Christianity becomes more compelling than ever. Yeah. Because it is a coherent story. It just makes everything. sense. It's simple. It's true. I mean, there is, there's an aspect of the Holy Spirit um, leading us and reminding us of all truth. Mm-hmm. And so when you hear it, it, there's a spiritual aspect of the mm-hmm. Holy Spirit saying, this is what's right, and this is what's true, and this is how you keep your head. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's what the world needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the prophetic edge of nihilism, but also the hope of the therapeutic worldview. Like, it's, it's both there. There's a moral code, going back to moralism. Mm-hmm. There is a moral code that has has modules for forgiveness and grace and mm-hmm. restoration and healing. Um, and things are going to get better yes, because Jesus is coming and he's redeeming and yes. making all things new. And there is a rational theology for pleasure. Sure. Like John Piper famously calls himself a Christian hedonist because he says, ultimately, the pursuit of Jesus is the most pleasure this world has to offer. That's right. And so there's aspects of all this, but it holds together instead of collapsing at every turn like all these worldviews do. It's just profoundly and beautifully rational and reasonable. Mm -hmm. And when people find these ideologies collapsing all around them and their hope along with it, their Christianity stands, our faith stands as logical, as coherent, as reasonable. And again, as we keep our heads and everyone else is losing theirs, as we are kind and loving, as we are peacemakers, as we are rational, we will stand out. We mm-hmm. will just stand out. Yeah. Um, so what this makes me think, and we're almost done here, but it, it reminds me, Sharon, of, of something. You were there. We were at an, a, an executive team meeting for the, a national board for the VS, VUSA, which we no longer are on that board, but we were for a number of years. And Adam Russell, who a number of people listening know who that is, had a prophetic word, and it was so... Um, man, it, it resonated so deeply within me um, where he said, the vineyard has been known for the gifts of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. And he goes, moving forward, the vineyard will be known for the fruit of the Spirit. Yeah. And man, that has stuck with me because if we demonstrate in the midst of all this chaos, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It will stand out. It will be so remarkable in this chaotic world that I think just in the apostolic age, people talk about all the miracles were necessary to validate 
Christianity. Now, that's a cessationist perspective that I don't agree with, but that was part of the expansion of Christianity. Mm -hmm. I think the fruit of the Spirit will look even more miraculous than the gifts of the Spirit. That someone being kind and loving will have as much impact as seeing the dead raised. Well, yeah, I mean, people say like those are all signs and wonders, right? And God Mm -hmm. did that all the time. Jesus did all the time. But the signs, if you think about it, they are, they're pointers to Jesus. They point you Uh to Jesus. And now I feel like just operating in the fruit of the spirit is a sign and wonder. Uh, Absolutely. (laughs) It looks profoundly miraculous. Yeah. Yeah. So guys, a lot is swirling and it can be overwhelming and it can seem just sad to see all of these incoherent worldviews getting so much traction all around us. But be encouraged Mm. because our faith holds up and it lasts. It stands to the scrutiny. It is coherent. It remains rational. It doesn't collapse when, when pressed against like the others do. And while those are just crumbling all around us, we have this beautiful hope that we get to offer to people. Um, and we, you talked last week on the pack, podcast, Sharon, about all the reason for hope and expectation. And as heavy as this stuff is, it's why I have so much hope and expectation. Yeah. Because we have what people need. Mm-hmm. So share your faith, people. Be bold. <laughs> Jesus is alive. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. And no one comes to the Father but by him. So Amen. share the truth. All right. We love you guys. I know this was a lot. <laughs> I know this was a lot, but it's good. Be encouraged. Keep your head. Keep your head in all situations. <laughs> Get those matching tattoos after all. Okay. <laughs>